in John chapter number 7 this morning um, as we continue in this journey, John chapter number 7. If you've missed any of the other messages, uh, by the way, they are all uploaded onto our SoundCloud account, which is soundcloud.com forward slash anchor dash Joburg. If that's too difficult, just go to our website. It's also on there. Um, Or even on Facebook, we post the links. So however you need to get there, if you need these messages, we've actually created a playlist uh, for them. So if you've missed any of the previous ones, you can go back and listen. I think there's about eight that we've done before today uh, that you can can listen to. And we'll be going through this. Uh, We might do some other stuff in between like we've done already, but we'll keep going through this. Uh, We're in no rush. Uh, We want to see Jesus. We want to know Jesus. Um, And so this morning we're in John chapter number 7. If you have your Bibles or your iPhones or whatever device you may have, uh, John chapter, I'm becoming more accepting as the weeks go by. Um, You you can even even read the Bible on a Samsung. It's kind of like an oxymoron, but whatever. Um, John 7, 37. And we're going to read this together. I'm just going to read these first two verses to start off with. John 7, 37 says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. We're going to talk about these rivers of living water this morning. And this message I want to share with you called the river of life. Uh, uh, God showed me some things in Scripture regarding this river that flows from His throne room. And and what it is that God actually wants to produce in our lives. And so we're going to to talk about that a little bit this morning. But before we do that, let's just pray together. And uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll get into this. Father... This morning, we thank you so much that we can uh, know your word and hear your word and understand your word and perceive your word, not just on an intellectual level, not just on a human level, but, but spiritually. That deep down in our hearts this morning that your spirit is speaking to our spirits, God, that you are revealing the, the truth of God, the depths of God, the mysteries of God to our hearts. We know, Lord God, that we are flawed. We know that we're imperfect, Lord God, and it's so easy for us to feel unworthy. But this morning, we thank you that we are worthy because of what Jesus has done for us. And so our faith is in him. And as your children this morning, we can just open our hearts, open our minds, and just receive from your word in Jesus' name. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So as we've seen in the book of John, Jesus is making a habit um, of, of crashing parties. Um, we saw it in, in John chapter number two, where he crashed the wedding and, uh, and, and just like flipped the whole thing and, and turned the water into wine. And, and wherever he goes, Jesus is causing a stir. Jesus is becoming quite well known for this at this point, that where Jesus is, there's a stir. Something is going to happen. Something miraculous is going to happen. You know, there's, sometimes you invite people like that to a party. Because you know that if that guy arrives, if that could, anything could happen, uh, I mean, it, it's not a proper party until they're there. And, uh, and, and this is kind of, Jesus has become like the, the A-list guy that you want to have 
at your party because he might raise someone from the dead or he might just feed everybody if you're short on budget for your food at the party. I mean, he just might feed everybody. Um, he might just do something miraculous. He might come out with a teaching. I mean, at one point uh, in John 7, they say he speaks like no one we've ever heard before. Like No one speaks this way. No one carries this level of authority. No one can do the things that he does. And so uh, Jesus is, is in high demand. People want to be around him. People want to see him. People want to see what he has to, to, to do and to say. And so here again now in, in Israel, the, one of the three major feasts are happening. And it's called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And I'll talk about it a bit more in a moment. But it's one of the three major feasts in Israel. And all of the people from all of it, uh, all the Jews from, from wherever they live, journey and, and pilgrim to Jerusalem to come and celebrate that feast together. And they do this once a year. And, uh, and so people are kind of talking. They're like, oh my word, I think Jesus is going to be at this party. I think Jesus is going to be at the feast. Man, I heard he fed 15,000 people out in the fields the other day with like three loaves and two fish or five loaves and two fish. Whatever it was, he fed them. And, uh, and we heard that he walked on water. We heard that, that all these things have been happening. And they start talking about what's going to happen when we get to this feast. What, what's Jesus going to do? What's Jesus going to say? So there's this buzz around Jerusalem. Jerusalem about Jesus and, and what he's going to do and what he might say and what he might reveal. Um, and so Jesus's uh, own brothers, his own disciples are, are kind of sitting with him. And I can imagine them kind of like lounging in their house and they're all getting ready to go up to the feast. And they're like, hey, we're going up. And, and Jesus, he basically says this, he, he turns to them and he says, hey, I'm, I'm not going to go. My, my time is not yet, it's not, you know, for my glory to be revealed, for people to know who I am. So I'm just going to chill at home, actually. You guys go. You're, you're, it's always your time. It's always right for you to do it. So you guys get dressed, and you go to this feast. Um, I'm not going to go. And so his disciples, they basically get ready, and they head up to this feast without Jesus. And so I can imagine that these people who were so excited to see Jesus at the feast and to see what he might do and what he might say, um, and, and so ready to kind of be blown away by some teaching that he had, I can imagine that they were pretty disappointed when they got there and realized that he hadn't arrived. Like, they're like, oh man, we thought Jesus, were, where's Jesus? You know, we thought Jesus was going to be here. We were so looking forward. Like, I brought my kids. I was, you know, going to bring them to meet Jesus, and, 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 I, and I wanted to hear what he had to say, and uh, you know, it's kind of like if you're single and, and there's this, this crush that you have and you go to a party because you heard they're going to be there and then last minute they decided they weren't going to be there and then you're like, why did I even come to this stupid party, you know? Uh, it, it's kind of like that where you're, you're like, I'm so excited to see Jesus. Jesus is going to be there, you know? And, and then Jesus doesn't show up and, they, and, and people start talking about him and going, man, why didn't he come? Why didn't Jesus come to this feast? We thought he was going to be here. And they're, they're pretty disappoint, disappointed about it. And that he wasn't there. This feast specifically, as I mentioned, was the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of, of, of Booths is the other name. And like with all the feasts, it normally commemorates something that God did in Israel, to, with the people of Israel. Something that God did to deliver them or to save them or whatever. And so it commemorates something, but then it also looks forward. It's, it's at the same time a commemoration and also a prophecy of what Jesus would do in the future. And so the Feast of Tabernacles specifically originated when God brought the people out of Israel, uh, sorry, out of Egypt, the people of Israel out of Egypt. They were in slavery in Egypt, and God delivers them uh, using Moses and, 
and, and all of the plagues, and you've, you've heard the whole story of how Israel was delivered. And as they get into the wilderness, God says to them that they should, should commemorate that moment by dwelling in, in these tabernacles, these little booths, these little tents that they would build for themselves. And for centuries, the Jewish people and the people of Israel have commemorated this feast of the tabernacles because it reminds them of the fact that God brought them out of slavery, that God brought them out of slavery, that they, that they dwelt in tents, even though they had nothing physical that they owned or possessed out in the wilderness, that God was their provider that God fed them with manna, with bread from heaven, and that God looked after them. And so they're going, we, we could live in booths. We could live in little tents and little shacks because we have a father who provides for us. And so this was, was a commemoration of how God looked after them and delivered them and led them into the promised land, coming out of Egypt and into the promised land. But it's also a prophecy of what Jesus would do. It's a prophecy of the fact that we, in our earthly bodies, we live in an earthly tent. And we await the coming of Jesus. We await the manna from heaven. And he has come the first time already, and now, and now we're awaiting his return. Jesus is going to return to us. And, and so for now, we dwell in these earthly uh, bodies. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1, Paul actually speaks about this, about our, our frailty in this human life. And he says in 2 Corinthians 5.1, he says, For we know that if the tent, he's talking about the body, is our, earth, our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He says when we dwell on earth, we essentially dwell in a temporary dwelling. It's amazing how, I remember going camping once with some young guys. Uh, I was a youth pastor and I took like a group of guys out to a camping site uh, for like a week in December, which was in hindsight not the best idea. But, but we went out there and, uh, and, and, and we went there to set up our tent and, and we, I like, I'm personally up to this point, I have a horrible track record with camping. Um, I've nearly set people on fire, uh, specifically my own family. Um, I've, I've nearly, you know, I, I've gotten to a campsite hundreds of kilometers away, only to realize that I didn't bring the poles for the tent. I mean, have you ever tried to set up a tent without poles? It's, ho it's horrible, and it's also impossible. And so um, we were out there. We, we don't even have the right poles. Now we have to, like, you know, just do makeshift plans or whatever. But there were these other people that had that come to the camp camp same campsite, and they basically, instead of taking one campsite, they took out, like, five, just, like, five, just, like, all of this real estate. This is what we're doing for the whole of December. And they basically went in there with an army tent, um, and I mean, this thing was almost as big as Studio Blue, this, this venue that we're in this morning. I mean, it was the biggest tent I'd ever seen. They, I'm not kidding you. They had jet skis outside. They had a satellite dish up. I mean, I was like walking by just wanting to see everything else they had. They had a lounge. They had couches with a TV. And like, I mean, it was just amazing what these guys had. And it was out near a dam somewhere. So they had the boats and the stuff. And I'm like, I don't even have tent poles you know, and but I realized that that's sometimes how people live their, uh, their earthly lives. They live their earthly lives. They set up their earthly lives like they're going to be here forever. Like this is all that there is. And Paul goes, this is not all that there is. This is a, just a, a blip in what eternity is going to be. This is just the very beginning of, of what eternity is going to look like. And our lives here on earth are temporary dwellings. That's why the greatest distraction the devil can give us is to cause us to look at ourselves and find our value in what we can own in this life. 
and what we can possess in this life. Because he's, he's lying to us about the future and about eternity. And so we end up sacrificing eternal things for temporal things. He goes, our bodies are but, but tents. And we're going to be in these tents only for a, for a moment. It, it's literally like for, it's a shadow that passes by. It's, our lives are so short in the context of eternity. But he says that when we lose, when we put off this tent, this earthly dwelling, this temporary dwelling, we will have a house made by God. We receive an eternal dwelling in Jesus. And so that is what the Feast of Tabernacles is pointing towards, is that even though we live in these earthly frail bodies and these, these frail lives, and we're so, we feel so vulnerable sometimes living in this life, so many things can go wrong, so many things do go wrong. Life can be so difficult. What we understand is, is that God, in the midst of the wilderness, provides for us supernaturally. Like our life, we don't have to depend on our own strength because we can look forward to the coming of Jesus and to eternity that we will have in him. So we're awaiting the Messiah. So just check out how Jesus sets this up. This whole feast is about waiting for the Messiah. And so Jesus doesn't arrive at the beginning of it. He doesn't go because the whole point is that they're waiting for the Messiah. So he's like, no, they've been waiting for hundreds of years. They can wait uh, two more days, you know. And, uh, and so he waits at home until the feast is already happening. And then he arrives halfway through because the feast is about awaiting the Messiah. And so halfway through, it tells us in, in John 7 verse 10, it says, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up. Not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? Everybody was looking for him. And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man. Others said, no, he is leading people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. He just arrives. Jesus is so cool how he does stuff. He tells us, guys, I'm not going to go. You know, you just, you go. I'm going to, it's not my time yet. But he knows that he is fulfilling this feast perfectly. And halfway through, he arrives, he arrives, goes up into the temple and starts declaring the truth. Ultimately, I'm here. I'm here. I'm on the scene. I've arrived. I'm here to fulfill this feast. And people are looking for him. They're looking for Jesus. And they have so many different opinions about him. That's exactly what our world is like. Now that we're awaiting the second coming, the return of Jesus, people have got so many opinions. But Jesus will arrive and he'll just speak the truth. He'll just arrive and speak the truth. And so uh, in this feast, in this moment, Jesus starts teaching. And people hear the words of Jesus. They hear what he has to say. And the scripture says that after he had spoken, they turned to each other and said, could this be the Christ? Could this be him? Could this be the Messiah? They actually get it. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is, this, this is the one for whom this, this whole feast was set up. And then it gets to the last day of the feast. And on the last day of the feast, I absolutely love the intensity in Jesus in this moment, the passion that I see in Scripture in Jesus in this moment. Because it's the last day and they're still like, some, they're still not sure, is this the Messiah, is this not the Messiah, and they, they're kind of doubting him in that moment. And Jesus gets up and he makes this passionate proclamation about who he truly is. And as we saw in that scripture that we read in the beginning, he gets up and he says, if anyone 
thirsts. Let him come to me and drink. I mean, that is a that is crashing a party. They're like, oh, we're looking forward to the Messiah. We're, you know, we're, and Jesus is just sitting in the crowd and whatever. And then at one point he gets up and he, he stops the whole thing in its tracks. And he says, if any of you are thirsty, if your soul longs for truth, if you're looking for meaning in life, if you've, if you've lacked purpose in this life, if you felt like you're, like you're just drifting, like you're a piece of driftwood in the ocean that's just being thrown by the winds and the waves of life, if you, if you feel like you're lost, if you feel like you don't know where you're going to, if you don't even really know who you are, if you're experiencing a parched spirit within you, come to me and drink. And Jesus says what happens is that within you, it will produce a life-giving river that comes out of your heart. It will come forth from your heart as you receive the Holy Spirit. If you're tired of running around, Jesus says, understand that I'm the one that you've been looking for. Here I am. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the way. I am the, the satisfaction of your soul. Because in Christ, God has a life for us that is so much deeper and truer and more fulfilling and more refreshing than anything that we can imagine. That's the life that God has for us. For you, as burnt out as you might feel right now, Jesus says, if you are burnt out, come to me and I will give you rest. If you are weary and, and heavy laden and burnt out on religion and tired of church and tired of, the, of all the games that everybody plays, come to me and I will give you rest. That's the invitation. That in him we find this, this life that is so full. And that, that's the idea of a river. It's, just, it's something that is so pristine, so, so beautiful, so full, so full of life. So refreshing, so revitalizing. A few years ago, I was on, friend, on holiday with a friend, and his dad, uh, we, were gonna go, we were all going to go out somewhere. We were waiting for uh, my friend's dad to arrive. And uh, he was late, and we were, you know, he had just gone down the road to go and do something, and we were all standing outside, ready, dressed, ready on our way to go. And, and here he comes walking up the road to us, and he is completely drenched. He's like from head to toe, he's sopping wet, and he's got all the clothes. He had jeans on and a t-shirt on and some shoes on. I mean, everything is just wet and, and dripping with, uh, you know, with water. And we arrived, and we're like, you know, we thought that he had maybe fallen into the river or, uh, you know, somebody, somebody did something to him. He's like, well, we, what is happening? We're about to leave, and you're absolutely sopping wet. Like, what happened? And he says he was walking along the river, and it was a hot day uh, in December. He was walking along the river, and it just looked so good. It just looked so good. He, he, his words were, I literally couldn't resist it. I just had to dive in. So he didn't even take off his shoes. He just dove in with everything he had, just like dove into the water and, uh, and, just, and, and he came out. And so now he's absolutely drenched, but has this massive smile on his face because of how refreshed he feels and, and how amazing it was in that moment just to, to jump into the water. When Peter preached the gospel in the book of Acts, he said this a couple of times, but in Acts 3, verse 18, he said, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. What, what they prophesied about Jesus, it happened. Verse 19, 
Repent, therefore, which means to turn your life around. It means to, to go back to God and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Verse 20 says that times of refreshing may come. Whenever I, hear, I read that scripture, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I just think about my friend's dad just diving into the, into the river, just diving into the river on the hot day. Times of refreshing that come. That's what it's like coming to Jesus. People think that coming to Jesus is like signing up for the army. Or, or, or something that's just really, really difficult or, or really, really hard. Like, okay, I'm signing up to go and climb a mountain or run a marathon. Or, and yes, there are parts of serving Jesus that are incredibly hard. But those things are on the outside. On the inside, what we experience is, refresh, is refreshment. We experience joy. We experience peace. We experience life. We experience purpose and meaning and, 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 and life. That's what it comes that's, that, that's what comes when we, when we put our faith in Jesus. And, and those rivers, that, that refreshment, that life, it comes forth from within your heart. Just think about that for a moment. The life-giving river of God comes forth from the, the, spirit of, the spirit that you have, your own spirit within you, like a wellspring of life. Jesus didn't just give a cup of water to a bunch of thirsty people, like, hey, I'm gonna give you just one quick bit of advice and this will keep you running for a day or for a week. No, he says, I'll literally become life. The spirit of God will become life within you and will overflow within you. And, and, and there's this picture of just this river that's just you know, bursting its banks within you and just pouring out into every part of your life and just bringing that life and that refreshment and that, and that goodness to every part, that healing to every part of your life. So as I was going through this, I read about this river, this, this river that flows forth from within us. And I wanted to go a bit deeper, just study it out, like this, this idea of a river in Scripture. So I started studying it out of my Bible, and I found something so amazing that I just want to share with you in, in a bit of time that we have left this morning. But first of all, we know that every single river has a source. Every river begins somewhere. And I wanted to know, like, where, what is the source of that river? We know it's the Holy Spirit, but what is the source of that river? And, and, uh, and I started reading out about the river of God, and I found something so amazing in Revelations 22. And I wanted to just read it to you this morning. Revelations 22 verse 1 says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Rivers of living water will come forth from within you. Then the angel, this is John, the same John who wrote the gospel is now being taken by God into the spirit and he is here in the heavenly city, uh, the new Jerusalem. He's in heaven right now seeing these things. And in heaven, Revelation 22, it says, the angel showed John the river of water of life. Bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. See, that's where this river of life comes from. It flows directly from God's throne. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. This is a picture of heaven. There's this mighty river flowing in heaven from the throne of God, and it goes right down the middle of the street 
just so that you can't miss it, just so that there's no other way to get around it. Just right down the middle of the street, the river of God is flowing. So it starts at God's throne, the throne of, of what Jesus did. The throne of, of God. This is the heart of God, this healing, life-giving river that flows. And we go back to, to Israel in the wilderness. They're out in the wilderness, and it's a desert. I mean, if you've ever been to the Middle East, and you've just gone out anywhere near the desert, you'll know it's harsh. There's nothing out there. And, and, and here they have hundreds of thousands, probably millions of Israelites out in the desert with nothing to eat and nothing to drink. And so God causes bread to come out of heaven. And in, this, and, and in the chapter we looked at last week, he said, I am the bread of life. It was a picture of Jesus. And then there was a time when they said, God, we don't have water to drink. And so they started complaining against Moses, like, you led us out here into the wilderness, so we're just going to all, you know, die of thirst out in the wilderness. And so Moses goes to God and he prays. And God says, what I want you to do is I want you to go to a specific rock and I want you to strike the rock. And so, and so Moses is obedient. He goes to the rock and he strikes it. And as he strikes the rock, water flows from within that rock. And the water literally, as they're traveling through the wilderness, is following them. God provides water for thirsty people. But think about why did God call them to strike the rock? Because it's a picture of Jesus. As Jesus was struck on the cross, as he was whipped 39 times and nailed to a cross, when he was struck, literally when the spear went into his side, it says blood and water flowed. From the heart of God, he produced life for us. Rivers of living water. It's all making sense here. Jesus goes, you're, you're, you're celebrating the festival of the tabernacles, the time in the wilderness. But I'm telling you, if you're thirsty, come to me. This river flows from the throne of God and from the throne of the Lamb, which is Jesus. And as it flows, it says that it produces life and fruit 12 months of the year. So like every single month, there's fruit. And when we look at what Paul says in Galatians, he says, when the Spirit of God is present in your life, it produces fruit. I don't know if any of you have ever walked into like maybe a grandmother or grandfather's home. If you have this in your home, um, just remove it quietly and nobody will know like before anybody comes to visit. But, but have you ever been to somebody's house and they have fake fruit? Why is that still a thing? Fake fruit. Um, just get real fruit. And so like if you ever, like I've been confused as a kid. I was a couple times I was confused by this, a little bit traumatic. I've got a bit of an issue about this. But I would walk up to it, grab it. This is the best looking apple I have ever seen. And what you bite into is like this hard, waxy, crazy thing that nearly breaks all of your teeth. It's just, it's, it's inedible. It doesn't produce life. It has no life within it. And as Christians, what we don't want to do here at church and in our lives is have fruit that we're pasting on ourselves as if it's real. But when anybody tastes of it, they go, it's not real. It's not genuine. What we want as a church is in our brokenness just to come to God and go, God, we need your life in us. And when his life is in us, the Bible says, then we will see the fruit of that. It's something, you see, you don't have to tell an apple tree to produce apples. It just does it naturally. And when, if we know that we are the righteousness of God by our faith, we would naturally just start producing that fruit. 
That's why I preach more at Anchor Church about who you are in Christ than what you should be doing day to day. Because I know that if you know who you are, you'll be doing what you're supposed to be doing. Right believing leads to right living. That's how it works. Once you start believing in who you are in Christ, you'll see the fruit of that righteousness be presented and, and, and come forth. And people will taste it and go, this is genuine. God really has done something in this person's life. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And it talks about love, peace, joy, kindness. Uh, you know, it mentions all these different fruits in, in, in Galatians 5. And it, and it even speaks about, it speaks about the, the self-control. Just think about that for a moment. Because you've been working so hard at controlling yourself and, and having self-control. Whereas actually, you can't control yourself. That's why you, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's self-control comes from Him. This is the life that God produces in us when we have His Spirit within us. And it says that where that river flows, there's no more curse. There's no more curse. Can I tell you why you're still sinning in your life in some areas? Because of a root of condemnation. Because you're actually still feeling as if you're not good enough for God. And you haven't completely come to believe in who you are in Christ. Wherever there is a root of condemnation, there is a fruit of sin. And so what the Bible says is that through what Jesus did, through that life-giving spirit, it says in Romans 8, there is now therefore no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. And the moment that you know that you are free from condemnation, that you have been made right with God through the sacrifice of Jesus, the, the source of that river, from that moment, your life begins to change. You begin to live according to who you are in Christ and not according to the desires of the flesh. So this is what the river does. It brings this healing and it sets us free from condemnation. I then read a little bit further. So I saw, wow, this river starts from the throne of God in heaven, in the heavenly city. And I, I then went further and I read a scripture in Ezekiel chapter number 47. And in Ezekiel 47, Ezekiel, a prophet, is taken into this vision where an angel takes him to the temple or the tabernacle, which was uh, the, the throne room of God on the earth. That's what it represented. The mercy seat was the throne of Christ on the earth. The, the most holy place was where God's presence was on the earth in the Old Testament. And it says in Ezekiel 47, verse 1, it says, Then he brought me back, this is Ezekiel speaking, to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple. This is the throne of God on earth, and the, again, the water is flowing towards the east, for the temple faced the east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Which just, he just throws it in there. The altar, the cross, what Jesus did for us, that's where this, this water flows from. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces towards the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side, going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand. The man measured. So this angel that's showing uh, Ezekiel this prophecy, he takes out a, a measuring line and he begins to measure how deep the water is. A man measured a thousand cubits, which is about 45 centimeters. And then he led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was knee deep. 
Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not pass through. For the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in a river that could not be passed through. Man, what an incredible picture of the presence of God on the earth. The same river that flows from heaven, from the presence of God on earth, flows out. And, and so Ezekiel's standing looking at this river, and, and, uh, and, and it starts at ankle deep. The guy measures, and it's ankle deep. Some of you may feel like you're ankle deep right now. That your Christian life is kind of like people who, like from Joburg who go on holiday in Cape Town, and uh, think that it's so hot that they'll definitely take a swim. They only ever go ankle deep. If you've ever been to Cape Town, the water is so cold. You're like, you walk right up there. You're like, I am definitely going to swim. I don't care how cold it is. And you get ankle deep. And you go, you know what? I feel fine right now. I'm actually just going to go back to the beach. You know, body temperature is only at 42. I'm still good. Um, and so, and, and so that's for a lot of us. That's as far as we go in our Christian lives. Like we're always just testing the waters. I was just seeing like, you know, what is in this and can I really believe it? But there's never a truly giving myself to it. You're just testing the waters. But God wants to take us deeper. He wants to take us deeper into his love, deeper into his grace, deeper into the gospel, deeper into our trust. This is what it comes down to. It comes down to trust in him. So the man measures again and there's another thousand cubits of water. Now it's knee deep. Have you ever seen people running into the sea or trying to run in water if it's like a shallow part of water? Like the first thing that they have to do in order to run is lift their knees. Because once your knees are in the water, you no longer have the ability to run. Then you're wading, okay? If you've ever tried to run in water, it's impossible if your knees are in the water. And what this said to me as I read this was that we are so determined, like, okay, I'll, be, I'll come to church and I'll, 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 I'll worship and I'll pray and I'll do all the things the pastor tells me to do as long as I'm still running in my own strength. As long as I can still trust in my own ability to get around, in my own ability to make a life for myself, in my own ability to, to secure whatever I wanna secure in life. And God goes, I want you to go knee deep. I want you to surrender your own strength to him. Go, God, I'm in a place where I can no longer move in my own strength. I'm in a place where I've surrendered that to you, where I, I'm no longer operating in my own power, but I surrender my power to you. Then the man measures again another thousand cubits and it comes waist deep. Waist deep. Things are getting serious. With your waist, with your hips, with this whole part of your body, you determine your direction in life. You determine which way you would walk into. I mean, you can, you can if you've ever ridden on a motorbike, you can steer a motorbike pretty much just by, by leaning from side to side uh, from your core. You don't even necessarily need to turn the handlebars. It's how we determine our direction in life and the way in which we're moving. And God wants to take us to a place deeper in His Spirit where we trust in Him to the point where we hand over the direction of our lives to him. Hey God, I had all of these plans for myself. I had everything mapped out. I had everything how I decided I was gonna do it and how I decided I was gonna live. And God's going, you're, you're still just knee deep. What I want you to do is just come a little bit deeper. That water's rising. That water's rising all the time. 
deeper in his spirit and he goes, I actually want to guide you and lead you into all the things I have prepared for you. Good things to prosper you, to bless you, to, as God uses you to reveal his glory, he, he wants to be able to lead us. He wants to take us waist deep. Not forcing our plans on him, but crying out to God, God, lead my life. God, show me the direction that you have for me. And the next thing you know, you can no longer stand. And that's honestly a scary place to be. If we're just all gonna be honest here this morning, None of us like to surrender control. When you can no longer stand on the bottom of a river or stand on the bottom of the ocean, you have surrendered control completely. You're at the mercy of the current. You're at the mercy of the waves. And we see this whenever, uh, you know, we go to the beach, we go swimming in the sea. Guys have this unspoken competition between them to see who can get deeper into the ocean than the other guy that's like 100 meter away who's doing his best to be the deepest person in the ocean. It's something we, something we do. Doesn't make sense, we do it though. And, uh, and I've been one of those guys. Like I will be the deepest person in this ocean today. And then I'll, I'll wade and I'll go deep and I'm like, oh, you know, all these pretenders thinking they're deep. And like, you know, I'll just like go but deeper, go but deeper, go but deeper. But there comes a moment, you know, as the wave picks you up, it normally comes down and at least with your toes, you can still touch the ground. But there comes a moment when, you, when the waves pick you up and bring you back down and your feet no longer touch the ground. And that is a scary moment. I don't care how old you are and how long you've been swimming in the sea, you do not like to be at the mercy of the waves. It's a place of absolute surrender. It's normally at that place where we go, no, 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 it's good, you win, you win, and, and you head back to shore. But God wants to take us into that place where we are Trusting in him completely. Absolutely dependent upon him. Where, where it's not like we just allow enough of God to feel good about ourselves, but still actually we're in control. Below the surface, we're still in control. God wants to take us to a place where your entire life is dependent upon him. Because that's what real faith looks like. That's what real trust looks like. And we grow in that trust. We grow in that trust. I was uh, sitting with one of our team members this week, just having a chat about this, and I, and I mentioned my little boy, Jude, about how with Eli, Eli is kind of, he was kind of born fearless. So when he was like one or two years old, I'd put him on the top of a cupboard, like a filing cabinet, and he would just jump off, uh, obviously into my arms. Uh, but he would just jump, like never hesitated for a second. Uh, my little boy, Jude, he was a little bit more hesitant. So whenever I put him, I started off on the windowsill, quite a low one, and I would put him on there. And the moment I kind of walk away, I've still got my hand kind of on his chest, holding him up there, but he would go, whoa, whoa, like just so nervous that I would let him go. And, and before I could take my hand away, he would dive onto me again. Um, and, and, and over time now, the other day, um, I wanted to talk to him eye to eye, so I put him on top of the kitchen counter and I spoke to him there. And, and I stepped back, and before I, I could even say anything, he jumped jumped into my arms. Why? Because he has learned to trust me now. He knows that if he jumps, his dad will catch him. And it's like that in our lives. You might be at a place where you're like, I'm just ankle deep for now. And that's fine. But the more time you spend with Jesus, the more that water is going to rise. The more you're going to go, oh God, I'm surrendering my, my abilities, my power, my ability to, to make things happen for myself to you. God, I'm surrendering the direction of my life to you. God, I'm surrendering everything to you. 
I'm giving it all because I trust you. When we recognize the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of Jesus, that's when we trust in him. We put no confidence in the flesh. Philippians 3 verse 3 Paul speaks about circumcision as, a, as a, a means of the, of the law, of following the law and being right by the things that you do. And he says that for we are the circumcision, the true circumcision, the true righteousness. It doesn't come from outward acts and outward uh, religious things that you can do, but it comes from those who worship by the Spirit of God. Rivers of living water by the Spirit and the glory of Christ Jesus. And we put no confidence in in the flesh. No confidence in these legs. No confidence in these hands. No confidence in, in this ability and in this whatever I can do. We just give it all to Jesus. We just go right deep into this mighty river that flows from his throne. When we put our faith in Jesus and uh, these life-giving waters begin to flow from our hearts. And look at what it does. Ezekiel 47 verse six, he carries on. It says, and he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? <laughs> I just love that. He's floating in a river and he goes, have you seen it now? In other words, do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get what God is saying? He wants to take you into the river of his spirit. Have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. And as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down toward Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be very many fish for this water goes there that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea. This is the whole fruit thing again. From Engedi all the way to that other place, and it will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. This valley of Arabah that it mentions is the valley between the Jordan River and the Dead Sea, which is an incredibly dry place. And the word Jordan is, the river means descending into death because it's descending into the Dead Sea. And what God says is that this river will flow and it will flow into the Dead Sea and wherever it flows, it will turn what is dead and cause it to come alive. There are no fish in the Dead Sea. But when the river of God flows, it will produce life and there'll be so much fish that people will come from all over to, to eat from it. That is what happens when you put your faith in Jesus. That same life-giving water that flows from God's throne and flowed through the temple, it flows through your heart, into your life. What are the dry areas of your life right now? What are the dead areas of your life right now? What are the dead things that you're involved in right now? Or the dead spaces that you work in and live in right now? The Bible says when God's Spirit begins to flow from within you. It brings life. Everything it touches will live. What an incredible picture. Finally, he says this in Ezekiel 47 verse 11. He says, but its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. 
the swamps and the marshes will not become fresh. Let's just leave that scripture up there for a moment. I just want to pause there. God doesn't want us to be swamps. His, his living water is flowing forth from within our hearts, and he doesn't want us to just become swamps and a marsh. Anchor Church, I don't care how big it gets. If this is just a marsh or a swamp, then we've failed. This is not what we're here to do. We're here to be a river. We're here to allow God to flow through us to the people that need it, that are around us. We're here to reach out to a city. We're here to reach out to a nation. We're here to be a voice of hope, a voice of restoration, a voice of the gospel in the city of Joburg. No swamps or marshes in this place. Jesus didn't just save us so that we could sit in one place and go, oh, thank God I'm saved. He, he saved us so that we can get up and we can start moving in the area, in the spheres of influence that God has called us to move and we can start being life-giving waters in those places. That through us, God can diffuse the fragrance of the gospel. That through us, people can see Jesus and taste Jesus and experience Jesus like those fishermen who come with their nets to say, I've got to have some of this life. You see, we're not operating here via strategy. <laughs> Anchor Church doesn't exist because we have a strategy. It exists because God's life-giving spirit is flowing through us. And people are seeing what's happening and going, I want to be a part of that. I want to be in that river. I want to trust God a little bit more. I want to get a little bit deeper. I want to become a river of God, a channel of God myself to the city. No swamps, no marshes. Only a river that flows from the sanctuary. It says, on, and on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. The leaves will not wither nor their fruit fail, but, the, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Man, there's so much in this. The water flows from the sanctuary. The presence of God, the spirit of God. That's the source. And so it changes things. It brings healing. It brings provision. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19. Paul says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You see, you have the heavenly temple. You have the temple in the Old Testament. Water flowed from the throne, water flowed from the, the most holy place, and now water flows from the New Testament temple of you and me. Us as a church, there's a mighty river flowing. There's a mighty river flowing. And through that, God brings healing. He brings life. He brings provision. He brings hope. He brings restoration to the people of this world, to the people here in Joburg. So I want to encourage you this morning. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, who puts their faith in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And we want the life of God flowing from within us, flowing through us. Wherever you're at this morning, ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, The more we trust in Jesus, the more we'll find ourselves 
moving according to His Spirit, being moved by His Spirit, and being a channel of God's blessing to those around us. It's the river of God. It's the river of life. It's the water of life. Isn't it amazing how rich the Scriptures are? And how true it is what God has done for us. So here's the bottom line this morning. You cannot save yourself. You cannot be good enough. Even if, you, if being good enough means being a good Christian. You cannot be a good enough Christian. You cannot follow enough rules. You cannot do enough charity or, or, or give enough money or, or, or do anything in your own strength to cause these waters to come forth. It simply comes from Jesus standing up at the Feast of Tabernacles going, if you are thirsty, come to me and I will quench that thirst. Come and drink. And within you, you'll have these rivers of living water coming forth.